Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, welcome to the Sibylline Podcast series. I'm Guoyu, Lead Asia-Pacific Analyst. Join me today is my fellow APAC analyst, Hans Horan and Ricardo Cosiani. Together, we'll talk about one of our region's most volatile geopolitical health hotspots, that is North Korea. So the uh, reclusive region has conducted a series of missile attacks so far this year, including the first ICBM launch in five years, ratcheting up military provocation and regional tensions. At the same time, the country is also experiencing what appears to be a very serious COVID-19 outbreak, at least according to Pyongyang's own admission. Considering North Korea's poor public health infrastructure and high incidence of malnutrition among its totally unvaccinated uh, population, the pandemic could really dealt a devastating blow to its already fragile economy. And yet, leader Kim Jong-un appears to be uh, undeterred, continuing with missile and nuclear weapons development with evidence uh, reportedly showing preparations being made for a new nuclear test, just as the US administration, uh, administration seeks to further uh, strengthen its strategic uh, presence in the region. So with all that in mind, Hans, if I could go to you first, if you could give us a quick update on the latest situation in North Korea regarding the COVID, uh, COVID outbreak, please. Thank you, Hugo. Yeah, no, it's been an interesting development so far. And as you said, it's a very serious, uh, it appears to be a very serious outbreak within North Korea. As, as you previously stated, North Korea is one of the few countries throughout the entirety of the pandemic to say that it had no COVID-19 cases, uh, which seems to have changed recently. Uh, at the moment, the, the Pyongyang is saying that they have at least 63 COVID-related deaths with 2 million individuals currently in quarantine with fever-like symptoms. They haven't necessarily said that these individuals have COVID-19 yet, but they are saying they're displaying symptoms that could indicate COVID-19 infections. Well, Pyongyang has been quite quiet about what could have caused this country's first COVID-19 outbreak. The, the general consensus amongst kind of North Korea watchers and, and, and considering what's been going on in the last couple of months, we believe that it's probably the 25 April military parade, which gathered tens of thousands of unvaccinated soldiers and high-profile high members of the DPRK uh, together in one space to celebrate the, the military, of course, and also to show off new military technology. And it's largely this kind of idea that we think that North Korea overestimated its ability to contain the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and infections on, as a whole. Of course, the country has been reluctant over the last couple of years to uh, vaccinate its population. Mm, there, there are speculation that, of course, that the military elite and the political elite may be vaccinated themselves, but the general public are largely unvaccinated. So this this parade and, and this gathering of people has largely been viewed as a, as a super spreader event that potentially led to this new outbreak. Domestically, within within kind of the within the within Kim Jong Un's administration, there is there there has been public blaming on all levels uh, in terms of who's responsible for this particular oversight and why why all of a sudden the country has its first uh, outbreak in in years, allegedly of course. Uh, Kim Jong Un has blamed everyone and has hinted during previous portable meetings that there's going to be a leadership purge, uh, which if you view it in terms of the larger strategic view of what Kim Jong-un does is quite consistent. So 
not only would this kind of fall in line with his consistent reshuffling of high-profile members within the within his administration, within the government itself, it would it would also help shift the blame away from himself as, as of course the leader of the country and towards individuals within the within the, the ruling party within the the Communist Party, basically saying that you indiv these individuals are the reason why this has happened, and at the same time it would help minimize the the growth of power that certain individuals have within certain different departments of the administration that could potentially challenge Kim Jong-un's uh, authority later on in the year or later in the uh, later on in, in time. So in this sense, it seems that Kim Jong-un largely is kind of killing two birds with one stone, if you will, in terms of trying to shift the blame away from himself, but also trying to knock down political rivals that could potentially use issues such as this to try and scrape together more power that could potentially challenge Kim Jong-un. So in terms of both the COVID situation itself is quite it is quite unknown and we're still and it's still being it's still a developing situation the issues within the the ruling party itself uh is also quite unknown and also developing in its own ways and hans if i may ask you to to give us an outlook of what the rest of the region thinks of the current situation in north korea could you could, could you tell us how south korea has read to the news and hugo could, could, could i come to you and ask how china has reacted to to the news yeah, of course. I mean, so South Korea, of course, has just gone through its own presidential election. So we've seen a uh, move away from uh, Moon Jae-in, who was the previous president, towards uh, Yoon Suk-yeol, who is the, the current president. And his administration has been quite open since the beginning. Uh, they came into power on the 10th, uh, basically saying that they want to try increase relations with, uh, with, with the North. And one of the things they've been doing since the news broke that there's been a, there's a COVID epidemic in in North Korea has been to say that we will offer help, medicine, vaccines, countermeasure uh, exper experience and training and things like that, uh, which has been largely, which has largely fallen on deaf ears to the, to, the, to the North. They have not responded to calls. They have not responded to uh, the South's constant need for saying we will give you help. Uh, so in that sense, it seems that South Korea has been more open than the North in terms of trying to give help to, to their to, to their COVID-19 outbreak, whereas the North has been much more kind of quiet and saying that we'll handle this domestically. We have the resources in-house to try and deal with this issue. So in that sense, it's been one-sided at best at the, at the moment. And on, the, on that note, do you think that there's any chance of, of North Korea actually accepting any aid from South Korea at any point in the near future? Um, it's, at the moment, it looks highly unlikely. I think you have to view it in the sense that North Korea, especially Kim Jong-un, has very much this mentality that they want to be able to have an in, in-house in capability, if, if you will. They want to have a self-sufficient a self economy, a self-sufficient country, which falls in line with its ideology that it has since its, since its uh, you know, creation following the, the Korean Civil War. So in that sense, I don't really see them relying too heavily on South Korea. That doesn't fall within strategic interests. It doesn't fall within the, the, the ideology that Kim Jong-un and the Kim family largely have been kind of espousing over the, over the recent years and the, their, their history in general. So uh, I do see South Korea trying to continue to push this narrative of we want to help you. We want to you know, improve relations. We want to uh, make sure that you guys are doing okay, whereas I don't see North Korea necessarily readily accepting that that kind of help because of, of a number of, of either ideological reasons or kind of uh, economic and political reasons.
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I'll definitely go along with Hans on, on that assessment. I think, um, you know, um, also uh, there might be an element of uh, this new administration in Seoul, um, uh, President Yum, I mean, you can't call him a hardliner. So uh, Pyongyang might be hesitant to accept any aid and worry about, you know, might, might there be any um, conditions or, or, or a policy attached to it? And, 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 you know, compared with Seoul, I think, um, you know, they are more um, receptive to the idea of accepting uh, medical um, aid from, from China, which, you know, latest report indicating that they are, uh, you know, they are sending uh, airplanes, cargo uh, planes to China to what we believe to pick up, uh, you know, PPE equipment or, or and uh, vaccine, um, uh, vaccine doses. So, so that's certainly a, a new development because uh, last year, um, if we remember that China actually, um, and both, both China and South Korea, and indeed the international community has offered uh, vaccines to North Korea and North Korea outright rejected and saying, you know, uh, uh, please give the, 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 the vaccines to more needed countries and we are doing just fine by closing our borders. Um, and, and, but we see now, you know, uh, as I mentioned, you know, North Korea uh, does have uh, very much sort of inadequate uh, public health facilities and very weak uh, institutional capacity uh, to to overcome this this uh, you know very serious outbreak and their population are very vulnerable. Um, not least because you know many of them uh, have uh, may have underlying health issues uh, anyway, but also you know uh, as we already alluded. Uh, you know, uh, officially, the, the whole population is unvaccinated. Um, so, um, so yeah, we see we see some movement there. Um, I mean, from China's perspective, that also serves their interests as well. You know, um, because they are uh, they would be worried of this uh, potential very great impact on North Korea already very very fragile economy and could uh, push North Korea over the edge of uh, a, a total collapse. Uh, or indeed, um, you know, a very serious, you know, uh, socioeconomic uh, crisis that would have a spillover um, implications for, for China. And at the same time, uh, you know, politically, China might believe that, you know, through offering COVID aid to North Korea, it can gain some, uh, you know, leverage uh, in, in future uh, sort of persuasion of um, guarding, you know, missile and, and nuclear uh, programs, um, because you know, uh, from China's perspective, they they wouldn't want North Korea to uh, uh, to conduct further nuclear tests, at least not 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 for the time being, uh, and and they want to achieve you know uh, denuclearization on the peninsula. That that that's what why uh, what we have seen from from China's perspective. Does that add up for for what you see, Ricardo? Yeah, I, I mean, I largely agree to, with, with what you said. I do think there's definitely a political element uh, with regards to Chinese aid to North Korea. I think Beijing is very much concerned about uh, both the domestic situation in, in, in North Korea, but most importantly, I think it's mostly concerned with maintaining stability on the Korean peninsula. Uh, obviously, China does not want to see any escalation happening, uh, let alone war. So any um, any leverage that it could exert on, on Pyongyang to keep stability that we very much appreciated. 
Yeah, I, th I think that th there's, there's going to be an elevated, elevated risk of North Korean missile tests over the next few days, particularly between May 20th and May 24th, as uh, U.S. President Joe Biden is set to visit Seoul and, and Tokyo, which, although the, um, the meetings are expected to mostly focus about, about China, um, North Korea will definitely seek to um, show, show, show force. And I think that not conducting any sort of tests or not launching any missile will be too big of an opportunity uh, to be missed. Hans, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, this, is, this is a hard one. It's definitely a question of strategic interest at this particular moment in terms of whether or not North Korea will launch another ballistic missile test and or another nuclear or a nuclear test during Joe Biden's uh, visits to both Seoul and Tokyo in the upcoming weekend. Uh, in terms of the possibilities, it kind of comes down to three scenarios. It comes down to how they prioritize the, the, the outbreak within the country. So there's, of course, the idea that if the outbreak is bad enough within the country and, it, and the cases are being underreported, um, in that sense, there's a possibility of North Korea having to significantly shift its resources away from military purposes and towards uh, its humanitarian side, towards its medical infrastructure to try and combat the pandemic within within the country itself to make sure that the cases can in the long term go down uh, if that's the case there is the possibility of ballistic missile testing and the nuclear tests being postponed into later in the year uh, particularly the, the nuclear test just because of how much money it costs uh, so in that sense that's one scenario second scenario of course is that they kind of push through with the pandemic regardless they kind of push through with the missile testing i mean and the nuclear test regardless of what's going on in the country because it's other strategic purposes. So of course, North Korea views its nuclear program and its ballistic missile programs uh, as very kind of central and critical parts of its national infrastructure uh, being its, its defense infrastructure. And because of that, there is always the, the, the mindset that Kim Jong-un could view this as despite what's going on in the country, we need to push forward with this to ensure our own kind of national safety, our national defense. Uh, so in that sense, there's that, that under that scenario, there's always possibility of Kim Jong-un just pushing forward with the tests, pushing forward with other things, especially in line with the fact, in light of the fact that uh, the U administration is just in power, as, as Hugo alluded to, it's a, it's a quite hard line uh, in terms of uh, his policies towards the North, or at least what he said so far seems to be quite hard line, especially being an individual within the right wing uh, PPP party. But the issue comes down to then he's a relative unknown within the political scene. So we don't know too many of his policies just because before this, he was a general prosecutor. So the North may use the opportunity within the next first couple months here of his administration to launch missiles, to engage in nuclear tests, to see how far they can push Yoon's administration, how far they can push Seoul uh, for either concessions or just in terms politically in general. And, and in that sense, missiles, missile launches, cyber attacks, uh, nuclear tests would be the the most likely avenue for them to try and push the administration. Which, uh, um, on those two scenarios, which one do you think um, what you leaning towards uh, most, or think have a high likelihood? <laughs> it's a very interesting question because personally, if it, 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 I, I think the the more likely scenario should be him redirecting resources towards the pandemic. Uh, trying to mitigate the number of infections and ultimately vaccinating individuals so that there is no future outbreaks. Just considering how we've seen it going on globally, we've seen countries delay the vaccine rollout or not be able to do vaccine rollouts evenly throughout the entire country. And that resulted in variants popping up, which then resulted in further outbreaks. So the, the, 
in my opinion, the smarter thing to do would be to kind of nip this in the bud right now and then ultimately in, continue testing later on in the year. However, considering their, uh, Kim Jong-un's track record and the strategic importance that North Korea places on its missile programs, the more likely scenario probably is that they continue the strategic testing throughout the year, uh, despite the humanitarian concerns, despite ultimately the financial constraints as well, because I, I think that's probably something that people are not necessarily really thinking about is that it costs a lot of money to, you know, do the R&D and do the launches themselves. So every kind of missile launch is, is, is money out of the bank, which is already a big issue for North Korea because of both UN sanctions and closing their border due to the pandemic to, to their main partners being China and Russia. But I'd be interested to hear what you guys think in terms of the more likely scenarios. Yeah, I, I, I will probably go with, they probably would still refer to back to their playbook of publications, because as you said, um, this is a very important strategic leverage they play uh, regularly to uh, when they want to seek some concessions uh, or, you know, uh, when their displeasure, um, you know, towards, um, you know, what they perceive as their adversary, uh, adversaries of uh, you know, South Korea and, and, and the US and Japan to some extent when, uh, you know, when there's any uh, engagement among those parties. Um, but I do think, you know, it will have an implication, like you mentioned, about uh, very severe uh, implication on the economy. On, on, on border, uh, you know, trade. Um, you know, uh, we all know North Korea was one of the first country to seal off, um, and their borders uh, are the outside of the um, COVID pandemic, and and they only recently started to resume trade with China. But now, you know, I, I mean, just um, very very quickly, if you will, Hans, what what would that impact this this new now confirmed outbreak uh, on on border trade with China? So I think uh, I'll start off talking about kind of the, the North Korean defectors and how that's been affected over the last year. I think Ricardo might be a better place to talk about the kind of how the pandemic has affected both trade between North Korea and China and potentially uh, Russia, their two, two biggest partners. So in that sense, I think it's important to note that in 2021, we saw the fewest ever North Korean defectors entering South Korea. So only 63 in the last year. And this is largely due to the country's heightened COVID-related border controls. So in the face of the pandemic, we've seen a significant increase in border watching between the, between the borders between China and North Korea, which usually and, and, and previously used to be a quite porous border in terms of people would go from North Korea to China to get goods, bring it back to their black markets and then sell it to help earn money. However, we've seen reports that there have been an increased number of uh, border watches. There's been increased crackdown on bribery or bribable individuals who could let then North Koreans go over the border to get things and then bring goods back. Previously, we had also heard that uh, border watchers were told to shoot on sight if anyone was trying to cross the border into China. These are all, of course, secondary reports and they're very hard to confirm to a certain extent, especially with the decreasing number of defectors coming out of the country. So uh, we probably won't really be able to comment on the, the severity of the border watch or the, or the border controls until later after the pandemic when when the border kind of opens up a little bit and we have people more coming you have more people coming into the country itself but it has appeared that there that the pandemic has affected the has affected the humanitarian crisis in the country and the ability for individuals to leave the country and try and seek refuge in other countries so either in southeast asia in, in south korea uh, etc so in that sense that's from a humanitarian perspective that's how the pandemic has affected north korea 
Yeah, with regards to um, trade between North Korea and China, I mean, like like you already mentioned, the uh, the, the border between China and North Korea was closed for for most of the pandemic. It only reopened later last year and then earlier this year, but has as of lately uh, reclosed again. And obviously, trade the the reduction in trade ha- had a bigger impact on 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 North Korea, and particularly causing a food crisis, but also an energy crisis, as you as you. As you mentioned, ultimately, I think this is definitely going to worsen um, North Korea's uh, overall economic performance throughout the short to long term. But most importantly, it's going to impact the socioeconomic health. And as we discussed, the uh, the, the current COVID-19 pandemic is only going to make the situation worse. From China's perspective, I think the economic impacts will be minimal. But obviously, its main concern will have to do with um, North Korean stability. And as we discussed earlier, the pandemic has not deterred uh, Pyongyang f- from, um, it, it hasn't deterred its, its nuclear program, it has not deterred its, its missile test. So I think the situation now will be a, a lot more difficult for Pyongyang to balance both its uh, defense and security interests to, to maintain uh, political legitimacy, to, man- to show force to the outside world, but obviously maintaining uh, obviously, to 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 maintain uh, like the domestic survival of, of of the country. Right. So very interesting and very and you know serious situation for us to watch. You know, going forward for the next few months. Right. Um. Aside from North Korea, uh, Ricardo, uh, what else? What other uh, issues and events coming up in the next few days that our uh, teams across the um, different regions uh, will be watching? Thanks, Igor. So first of all, our year of deaths will be looking at the Northern Ireland Protocol following the UK Foreign, Secret- Foreign Secretary uh, Liz Truss, uh, which revealed plans to unilaterally amend the protocol on the 17th of May. Uh, then our team will also look at the June legislative elections in, in, in France, as well as Sweden and, and Finland's ongoing NATO um, uh, application. Our Eurasia desk, on the other hand, will continue to, to monitor the situation in Ukraine with regards to the Russian-Ukraine war. And more specifically, they'll be looking at the developments um, from 26th of May onwards with regards to the Russian Supreme Court expected to recognize the Ukrainian Azov Regiment as a terrorist organization. Over to our Latin America desk, um, the team will be looking at the upcoming presidential elections on the 29th of May in, in Colombia. Our team expects that no candidate will receive a majority of, of the votes, that is about 50%, and so they expect the two leading candidates to, com- to compete in a runoff on the 19th of June. Over to our uh, Middle East and North Africa desk, uh, the team will be looking at the uh, United Arab Emirates as they announced the beginning of a 40-day mourning period following the death of the President Sheikh Khalifa bin Zayed al-Nayan on the 13th of May. Lastly, our Sub-Saharan Africa desk will be looking at the northwest and southwest region of Cameroon as they implemented a lockdown uh, until the 21st of May. And lastly, they'll also be looking at the situation ongoing in Ethiopia as their deliveries are well below the region's needs and progress in negotiation has, has been slow, with Tegra officials claiming that administrations in, in Amara and Eritrea pose an existential threat. Thank you very much, Ricardo, for the whistle-stopping uh, tour across the globe and um, for the events coming up next week. Now, so now uh, this wraps up the uh, podcast for this week. Thank you for tuning in and for any 
further information and questions, um, please contact us via info at zipline.co.uk. Thank you. Until next week, bye-bye.